0: Hi, this is Dan, and this is Joe, and this is Enough Room. Hey, welcome back again. Back like a boomerang. Right? As <laughs> yes. yes, they say in Australia, I feel like we haven't used that before. <laughs> um, yes, we're back, and we are back with Andre. Oh, Absolute pleasure, guys.
1: Lovely, lovely speed back. I-, I don't know if I should mention this, but Andre... It's just been served um, some hot chips and gravy mm-hmm. and <laughs> Dan and I are really hungry right now. No. <laughs> <I>
0: <laughs> so if we just it's... suddenly pause, we're probably drooling a little bit. Um, no, we've but... done a, ma- a, a KFC run. If inside <laughs> it, uh, <yeah. laughs> it's, it,
1: it's so good that Dan and his family are so big on KFC. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. the The first time I met his parents, they yeah. literally picked me up from the airport and drove straight to KFC. Oh my gosh. And I was lot. like, I, I didn't know them back then, but I was like,
2: Are you guys, maybe artists? it's because they know. Yeah, <laughs> no like, jokes. do they know?
1: I'm. And that's the, why they've taken me to I'll
0: be sitting there like um, uh, stereotyping. <laughs> <laughs> then after a few months, he's like, "Oh." <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, thanks so much for joining us again, Andre. Um, I think our last episode there was just so much in there, and I know a lot of people would just want to take some time to explore a bit. And I'm so glad that we have you again because that's exactly what we're about to do. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in last week's episode was how you went through conversion therapy. Um, could you share a bit about your experience with that? Um, I'll definitely put a trigger warning out there when we put up this episode, but I think it might be, um, just a good way for those of us who may not have had that experience to have an insight into it.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, So conversion therapy is often referred to now these days as conversion practices. And the reason they do that is because uh, when we think of conversion therapy, we very much think of this type of course or sort Mm. of seminar or sort of practice by which someone undergoes, you know, this real intentional, you know, Sort of strategies to try to make people straight. And the reason they call it conversion practices is because it recognizes that actually it's this, it represents an ideology that's actually far broader. And the mm-hmm. ideology is, in fact, that to be gay is to be broken. And it means that it's deficient. And it means that there is something wrong with you that only God can fix. So mm-hmm. that's all to say that I. Found myself going to groups in Sydney um, and also a course in New Zealand. when while I was living in Sydney, that would be absolutely described as conversion therapy. So you know, you you have workbooks. You're parts of groups where other men are involved, and you you know look through your whole childhood. What they call sort of um, pseudo. Psychological sort of practices where they look at your past and the sort of and the whole other ideas as well is that um, there was sort of trauma that you experience um, in your past that made you gay. And if you can just break that once you identify what it is, then you can now be straight. So um, I went to these groups in Sydney and I drive myself there every Thursday. And when I wasn't at the groups, so I was taking part in different books, videos, etc. Yeah, you have to confess a whole bunch of things, and looking back now, it's just very harmful because you really feel like that you need to crack all these practices to make you um, feel uh, to make you become eventually straight. And unfortunately, mm. it's all just a farce because years later, I actually found out the biggest group in America called Exodus. Um, that the the owners they shut they shut down in two thousand and nine, and I remember at that time thinking, "Why have you shut down? You, mm. um, I'm the only one that's hard up for God. You shouldn't have shut down. Like you know, people need it. You know, people need this truth. Blah blah blah." And then years later, they actually said, "Actually, ninety nine point eight percent of all the people that went through the group eventually went back to being gay." You know. Mm. And yeah. I was just like, I wish people could have told me that while I was undergoing it. I wouldn't have wasted all my time because yeah. all of these sort of conversion therapy practices and even in the church where you go to these groups, there's this insinuation that someone has cracked it and that yeah. you you are the next one in line, you know. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so you just become very desperate. And I just wish someone put me out of my misery and actually told me, no, actually, it doesn't
0: work. It's interesting um, that you say that It just sort of um... – reminded me how often um, when maybe we have conversations with people and, and we might, you know, share with them our um, belief around um, what the Bible has to say around sexuality and um, and our experiences and that sort of thing and, and how often people will respond with another video of someone's testimony. Oh, yeah. Um, and... I I always kind of have a bit of a chuckle when I when oh, yeah. I see them because I just think, do you really think I haven't already seen
2: oh, yeah, those sure. stories? And
0: in fact, do you not know that I've actually been one of those stories myself? And That's, and you know, I've I've experienced that. And maybe they are one of those 002 percent of people who might have an experience like that, but Um, just because one person might have an experience doesn't mean everyone can. But I think that that is so much of what conversion practices are driven on is you've always got someone else that you look at and you say, well, look at them. They've done it, therefore
2: you can do it. Absolutely. I remember when the article came out because it had also come out in Melbourne, The Age, and then I got an email from someone who was really angry at me. They Mm -hmm. said, I'm a Christian, I'm... You know, I was gay. God brought me out. And what you are preaching now is just terrible. You are misleading people. And he basically said that, you know, became a Christian two years ago. And I don't mean to be dismissive, but I kind of like, bro, come speak to me in 10 years, mate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. see how we're going, you know, because while I was committing myself to conversion therapy practices for 15 years, before that, I was still trying to be, um straight outside of that as well so i'm just like nah mate you're a newbie um let's have a proper conversation after you've tried it like i've tried it i remember when i was first becoming a christian and my sibling said to me like but you're gay how you gonna what about a relationship and i would always quote you know um, paul where he would say i consider my life nothing you know with done unless I do what God has called me to do and I would always quote that I said he will satisfy me and I think yeah he absolutely when I was age 25 that's a a fairly easy thing to say do you know what I mean like early on in but as I was getting to 40 and amidst so many attempts to try to be straight and I just realized no I'm not I haven't I don't think I'll ever crack this you know so anyways, that's all to say, look look at each of those testimonies and let's give it the test of time and let's have a talk later. I'm also part of this other Facebook group and it's basically full of all the leaders that were sort of the conversion therapy leaders across America. It's just fascinating. They all just say, it's just a whole bunch of them who are just saying, look, we all, you know, we're, we're still game after all of these efforts over all of these years. Yeah.
0: So just... Um, trying to sort of understand a little bit of your journey. So you were a pastor, you were putting yourself through this conversion therapy, these conversion practices, um, and you had been trying for decades ultimately to to change. Um, And you felt, I guess for a large part, you would have felt like uh, your sexuality and your, your Christianity were not compatible. So how have you gone from that point to now being able to reconcile your sexuality with your faith and and embrace your sexuality and and, and, and not actually um, have that be a negative thing for your faith, but it's almost like since that point your faith has only grown Um, what, I guess, what was that journey like? What, what brought you to the point of being able to accept yourself?
2: Yeah, I think for me, I, um, as a pastor, I, I think I was quite radical as a pastor in that I always, no matter what church I had, it was always inclusive, you know, uh, people would always say to us, I'd always get this question all the time you guys funded by the conference? you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason was because, you know, I dressed a certain way, probably not like what pastors dress like. But also people came to church and they actually had a lot of fun. And there were a lot of people that came to my church that would never be in a church normally, you know. Mm. I've shared another interview that, you know, I'd go around on Sabbath morning and I'd say, happy Sabbath. And people would say to me, "Ah, oh, happy Sabbath. I'm so hungover, you know. And, happy <laughs> you know, I've just come from a pub. And the first part of me was like, Oh my gosh, you're such a bad pastor. No one. <laughs> and then the other me was like, hang on, the fact that people are hungover and they finish clubbing at three o'clock and someone else had a party in their garage at four and still have made it to church on a Saturday, that's yeah. something, you know? And yeah. uh, there's a man who was at last year, his name's Stuart Tyner, he's passed away now. But I always remember before I became a pastor, one of these things that he said that stuck out to me. And he said, um, do you know what? Sabbath morning should be the churches of every Adventist, the doors of every Adventist church should smell like cigarettes and alcohol and there should be cigarette butts lined outside the whole, um, the front of the church. Because it would say that those people who were feeling like, you know, ostracised by the church would actually feel included by the church and they'd also feel welcome. And that, you know, Jesus was a, a beautiful answer to the stuff that they were facing. So I think for me, I always got that for other people, but I never got it for myself. So I got it for myself to a point, but not when it came to my sexuality. And I think when I finally realized that I had been trying to do my head and to try to be straight and it wasn't working. And then I was just like, okay, God, what's, what's next? I just realized, well, you know, the way that you have been to other people, always encouraging them and letting them know that God is there with them no matter what. I'm with you to the end of the age and, you know, I'll never leave you, forsake you. Andre, this now applies to you even with your sexuality, he's still there, do you know? And so yeah. I think um, it was actually just allowing, practicing what I preached for others. I was now having to apply it to mm. myself. And I think, you know, I think actually our theology, Adventist theology is so hilarious because we always talk about, uh, you know, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not worthy, you know. And, you know, then we, but hello, worthy is the lamb. We don't. T- we're not worthy. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean. Mm. Even Mister Heterosexuality or Mrs Heterosexuality, be doing everything straight. You're still not worthy. There's nothing. Mm. It's not you that that makes you worthy. It's actually Jesus. So you know we put mm. so much emphasis on ourselves and our ability to, you know, to adhere to all these different types of behaviors. And I just kind of feel like I, I sort of got it. I was like, nah, God's with me." And I think you know. Even it's like getting another job, and even as I've come out. His, you know, way of just opening doors and allowing me to still, you know, for me, those doesn't have, have just been sort of evidences of his continued grace on my life. And not only me, like I look at you guys, you know, and the brave decisions that you guys have made. You know, God obviously is working even more powerfully now through you guys in a different way because you get to share you know, some narratives that people in the world are actually asking about, you know, and people that mm. are doubting if they're acceptable to God. Like now they can turn into yeah. things like your guys' podcast and they can listen in and find out, you know, this new image of God that they thought wasn't available to them previously. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I just had a question. It might sound like a really silly question.
1: Um, so I might give a bit of a background about where this is coming from. Um, with your experience with convert uh, well with your experience with um, conversion therapy, or oh. um, why did you, why did you even think of that as an option for you? Why did you go there in the first place? Was it purely because of what you've seen in the Bible um, and what you were interpreting back then? Or was there more to it than just the religious side of it?
2: Oh, it was definitely the Bible, but it was... um, The first time I heard about conversion therapy, I was living in New Zealand. I moved to Australia in 2004. Mm. Um, And then when I became a pastor, I... um, I thought, mate, we need to up the ante on this. And I I thought that the conversion therapy wouldn't be a silver bullet, but it would be the final solution because I had tried by myself for so long to try to become straight, you know, and I thought these are the things because those are the testimonies that you see on YouTube. So this Mm. group will help me. So, I mean, I look back now, just to your point, I don't hear of conversion therapy in the Bible, FYI. (laughs) You know, (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely uh, man-made construct, you know, and uh this parachurch one that has just come out of America and has infiltrated the entire world. Um Ilga, the International Lesbian and Gay Association have just uh issued a report last month, I think, and I'm very privileged to have been mentioned in that. But basically, unfortunately, it takes a global view at the harmful practices of conversion therapy. It happens in every country, unfortunately, everywhere there's religion, it's happening. Um, in Australia, I just want to give a cool shout out just to Nathan Despot at um, Brave and Chris Cabs as well, who are doing a really phenomenal job in terms of um, working with different states and also working with churches as well to unravel the harms of conversion therapy and even to challenge states in terms of the uh, lawfulness um, and also the harm that this brings to young gay people um, and how the church is aiding that in many ways as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I, I often think about my,
1: my own experience. While I didn't go through the full conversion therapy thing, um, it, it was interesting. Ever since I can remember, um, I think I've always known that my mom – my mom has always known that I was gay. And, you know, she'd always tell me, pray, keep praying, keep praying. And, you know, everyone else who um, soon found out that I was gay – would always say the same thing, you know, keep praying. God will change you. Keep praying. God will change you. And then obviously life happened and here am I with Daniel. And this was at the beginning of this year um, when he proposed to me. And I remember on the drive back from the Hunter Valley and my sister was in the car and she was sitting next to me and she turns to me and then she goes, you're not going to be alone anymore. And all of a sudden, all of these comments that I've been hearing from, you know, from family and from my mom came flooding back to me. And I started asking that question, like, and I should probably have this conversation with her. She's probably listening to this right now. Um, but the everything just came back to me how, you know, they, they kept saying, keep praying, keep praying, and God will change you. And I started wondering, was it coming from purely a place of, you know, this is what the Bible says and this is why we believe it? Or are there more social uh, nuances that are coming in here where we see gay people in a certain light, we see, um, you know, uh, homosexual people, LGBTQ plus people as not having a future in a family or not having that partnership, um, especially, you know, being Fijian and from the islands. Um, that is something you don't see. You don't see um, gay couples. Um And that's
2: why I sort of asked that question. Oh, gosh, that is such an awesome question, Joe. I remember when I got interviewed on SBS in Australia and Jimmy Brocken, the host, asked me, so conversion therapy, did you know, did you hear about these messages growing up in church? And I was like, no way. Island churches are so conservative that they would never mention homosexuality, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So it was more from the societal stigma, you know, Mm. homosexuality is. And I think um, these issues absolutely get conflated, you know, like... The culture and um, the gay issue, and people can't. And, and sorry, the the gay issue gets conflated with culture and also with religion, and they get mixed up. And no one has taken the time to do it as just what you have said and delineate that. So you know that the fact that we will end up alone, you know, mm-hmm. from what we believe, like. And so then all this becomes a sum total of why being gay is bad, but no one has taken the time to sort of like break it down and actually yeah. tease out the different issues. Um, so I absolutely agree with you. Uh, so even though I'm all for uh, the banning of conversion therapy, my I suspect that in island churches it actually won't make a difference because that's not where they get their cues from anyway. You know, the oh, yeah. cues are coming from somewhere else, you know, when we think about family and all the other sort of stuff.
0: Uh, i think it's interesting um, you know yeah basically culture has a huge huge part to play in it and I think in many ways um, I, I mean I grew up in a very different culture I did grow up in in australia which is a much more of a secular society um, and yet i think it's it's changed a lot now but I think even growing up there was just still this idea that um, homosexuality was different and you didn't Get into long-term relationships. It was a promiscuous lifestyle, all that sort of thing. Um, but then, I think from the church's perspective, there was always, always this idea that um, you know homosexuality is wrong, and 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 God always has a reason for for why things are wrong. And you can see that people who are gay, they're not happy, and they're never going to experience happiness while they're living out this. Um, you know this lifestyle that they're pursuing and and the only way that they'll experience happiness is if they turn their lives over to god and they and they are converted sort of thing um, i guess having said all of that um, in in reality have you found that um, you know the more you have embraced your sexuality and um, i guess just being more true to yourself have you found that you can't be happy or that you can't experience joy or that you can't live a normal life?
2: Oh, mate, can I just say that I feel like, um, okay, I'm going to, this is going to sound really hard out, but I feel like we're the only honest ones, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) hey, this, like if you put a older teenager, someone 18s in the church now, like in our church circles, who's 18 to 25, you put a gay person next to heterosexual person. I'll tell you who's most more promiscuous of those people who are still in the church. It's not the gay person. (laughs) So um, we are here because we are desperate because we, you know, the world is beckoning us. That's what, you know, gay culture beckons because they've been so ostracized by the church, but we stay in the church because we want to serve God and do right by God. Mm -hmm. This is a massive generalization, but, um, But I can tell you there's a lot of heterosexual young people who are in the church and who do sleep around but still at the church. But they don't have to come to church the next week and feel bad that someone from the front is going to preach about what they're doing sexually. But we do that all the time with gay people. So we've kind of vilified this cohort of young people um, who actually, if they're in the church, they're trying their best and it's really likely that they're not going to, that they'd probably be celibate or trying their hardest, you know. So I kind of feel like we are the honest ones because we wear our hearts in our sleeve. We are straight up about where we're at and why we need God. And I kind of feel like this is what annoys me about the church at large is that, um, you know, the world, uh, the church at large is um, divorcing, separating at the same rate as people in the world. We're consuming pornography at the same rates if you look at things like family violence and sexual abuse they happen at the same rates as the world you know and the reason i say all of that is because at the church we have been become so clever at judging publicly the world for things that we are doing privately and we have nullified any credible experience. Because if we were honest about all the things that we struggle with, even sexually in the church, and I'm talking about straight people now, then we could actually be a credible witness. We could say, look, I've fallen over here, but God is the one that helps me get back up. Or marriage is tough, adultery is tough, but God is a beautiful solution to that. But instead, what we do is we pretend that none of these things affect us, and we're so busy judging everyone else, you know, including abortion, all of those sorts of things. Meanwhile, we're doing all of these things in private and secret. And it's just just the heart of hypocrisy. So I just kind of feel like for us, it just allows us to live in our truth and just to be honest. And I think that is true religion, to have integrity and to not hide behind things that you are doing secretly. So, um, sorry, that's a long answer and it's kind of very direct. But I think these are the types of conversation that the church needs to have the way that they point at the gay community as if they don't do things themselves is really ridiculous. And I think in my article I said they uh, dissect our sexual uh, behaviour and our sexual um, our sexuality and our behaviour with no intention of disclosing their own. You can go up there on the weekend and talk about all the things they're striking, struggling with sexually. You know, I'm just like, no, because it's just, why would you? Do you know, like it's, why would you try to like, Put that magnifying glass on ourselves because it's actually not appropriate, you know. Let each person deal those things with God, with guidance and support, not with condemnation. Because you know, other. But if you're going to do that to us, you may as well do it with you, and actually can use yourself as the object lesson this week rather than you know, looking at us, <laughs> yeah. please. You know, that's the sort of thing I would say. Amen.
1: <laughs> I I think there needs to be more spaces for these conversations. These conversations have to happen, and that's why mm. I think. Uh, not, I think I know that I definitely 100% appreciate everything that you are doing and just how visible you are. Yeah. Um, because if we are, if we allow ourselves to be to be more visible, I believe these are the conversations that follow along with it.
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room.
1: We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time. So until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook.
0: Till next time. Bye.